Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Thank you. 
stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working.
this is my surrender here is where i lay it down every lie and every doubt this is my surrender and i will make room for you
Bibles to Habakkuk 3, verse 17. Habakkuk 3, 17. And while you're there, also turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 26. Habakkuk 3 and Deuteronomy 26. Those are some of the main passages that we're going to be dealing with. Habakkuk is like the, towards the end of the Old Testament. So if you get to Matthew, go back about five or six books, and you'll have Habakkuk. And then Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, you'll get to Deuteronomy there. So Habakkuk 3, Deuteronomy 26. Today I want to talk about generosity and giving, and I fully realize this is not the best time to be talking about giving. Well, you would think it's not the best time to be talking about giving. Inflation's crazy high. Anybody experiencing that? Anybody, like I find myself on a daily basis going, I cannot believe that that costs that much today. I, I, I see building permits and the building permits are like four times what they were. We're doing, we're doing a water plant project that was supposed to be 3 million and we're up to 10 million now. 3 million two years ago and it's $10 million today. We're seeing rent going nuts right? Gas hasn't come down. Uh, I'm lucky I don't shop for our groceries, so I don't get to see that, but I've heard that's shocking, right? There's a, there's a, a big need. We, we've probably gotten more calls for help than uh, in a long time. And so I know it, it's rough right now, and here comes a pastor with a message on giving. And if this is your first time here, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, but um, I always, like, that's my fear that it's going to be somebody's first time coming when we give the message on giving because I know how people think, right? People always think in the church is just after our money and, and everything like that. But um, as you notice, we don't pass a plate. We don't pass a plate on purpose because we want your giving to be uncoursed, just a free will gift given with joy, Right? And so sometimes people come up to me and be like, how, how do I give? Where do I give? There's plates in the back at the doors. You can, you can give there if you want to, but that's between you and God. And, and uh, like I said, I don't like talking about money, but at the same time, man, I feel immensely blessed by God and the principles that I've learned that relate to giving. And uh, I will gladly share those with anybody who has ears to hear, right? Because um, it, it is a blessing. God's always been faithful. He's always provided 
for me. So um, I don't feel too bad about sharing this, this message. I know it's a message that, that you know, Jesus spoke on, talked about money, uh, because there is a tie-in to money and our hearts. There is a tie-in to money and faith, and it can be an indicator of where we're at. So it's a good thing for us to, to look at. I, I'm much more concerned with those, thing, those things. I'm much more concerned with your heart and your faith than how much you give. And that's all honesty. I'm not looking to get rich here, you know. Uh, you, guys, you guys pay me and bless me by doing that, but I'm not looking to get rich here. All right. Habakkuk 3, would you stand in honor of God's word? Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This is God's word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is timeless and speaks to us no matter what's going on, Lord. And we pray that you would soften our hearts, open our eyes and ears to your message, Lord. Father, let nothing come out of my mouth that is untrue or does not line up with what you have to say. Father, we love you, and we give you all praise. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I thought we were getting fancy, and we had, like, yeah. worship music going on while I was praying. I was like, hey, this is good. What, what's going on here? <laughs> this short passage, though, tells us that it's possible to have a, a, a life of sustained joy, even when everything's going wrong right? That's what we see here. What, you know, the fig tree's not budding. There's no grapes. There's no olives. The fields aren't producing any food. There, there's no livestock, no cattle in the pen, no sheep. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Habakkuk is a, a prophet, and he's facing very bad circumstances. And this, this prophet isn't just choosing to tough it out. He's not just saying, you know, I'm going to tough this out. I'm going to hang in there. He, he's choosing to face these trials with faith, with trust. Um, this is an economic disaster because all of the main ways that this nation would look at to produce wealth or to have something coming in, it, it wasn't happening. There's nothing going on here. You could get by with no figs, right? They were, a they were a delicacy, but try having no figs on top of no grapes and no grain and no olives and no sheep or no cattle. This is just beyond severe. This is a, a tremendous hardship. They had nothing coming in. And how do you face that? How do you face times like that? Well, Habakkuk uses words that tie into Deuteronomy and the blessings of Moses. In, in Deuteronomy, there's this principle that I want to look at today. It's the principle of the first fruits. So if you would turn to Deuteronomy 26 now. In, in the Old Testament, 
God called the Israelites to give the first fruits of their harvest to him, right? That's where charitable giving came in. Like Habakkuk stepping out on faith to rejoice in the face of calamity that he was experiencing. Similarly, we're called to step out on faith and bring in the first fruits. Deuteronomy 26, if, if we're going to understand what Habakkuk is saying here about facing this economic scarcity, we have to look at it in light of this passage, with the background of, of this passage. Deuteronomy 26, beginning at verse 1, when you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priests in the office at that time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land, the land that you swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Verse 2. It was where we see this principle of the first fruit. Take some of the first fruits of all you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God has given you and put them in a basket. If you were a, a farmer, right, all of your income basically comes during the harvest season, right? Notice the timing of when God calls them to give. It's right at the beginning of the harvest. At the beginning, though, is the point where you don't know what's going to happen with that harvest for the year. You might have sort of a general idea, but the logical and the prudent thing would be to wait until all of the harvest came in. Then you'd know how, my, how well you did for the year. You'd see what you're going to have to pay out in labor, what the yield really was. You'd reconcile all your bills, and you'd have this idea of what was left over, what you could afford to give. But that's not what God says to do. That's not the principle here, right? That's a logical way but not the principle that God wants us to use. Instead, God calls us to give of our first fruits. So you would go out, you'd start harvesting, you'd get the first part of your harvest, and you would give that to God. You didn't know how big the harvest would be, what the real yield would be, but it didn't matter. You were going to give this portion, this first part, to him. You took that and you laid that on the altar. What's the principle meant to teach here? Well, if you wait until everything is in, then you end up, what you end up giving God is the surplus. And that's not what he calls us to give, right? The surplus is the part that you can afford to give, 
right? That's what's left over. You can afford to give it without it actually cutting into anything or changing the way that you live. In other words, it really doesn't take any faith. It, there's no sacrifice there when we give of the surplus. When, when you give of the surplus, nothing changes, right? You, you can still do all the things you want to do. You can still buy all the things that you want to buy. You can go to all the places that you want to play. The, the surplus is the part of your income that you can afford to give without any change. By following God's principle, though, and giving the first fruits, you have to step out on faith. You have to trust that the harvest is going to be enough. You'll have to adjust your life around what you give and live off the rest of that. It's sacrificial giving. That's what God calls us to do. And it changes the way you live. Now, do you see why it's relevant in this time, this, this evil time, this difficult time, right? In the good times, there's a surplus. So you can give to the church. You can give to those ministries. You can help people out. Easy. You got the money, right? You can give your money away. But in the bad times, if you're the person that lives from the surplus or gives from the surplus, then you're not going to have anything left to give. And so giving would stop. That's why we need to learn to give from our first fruits all the time because then it won't matter if it's a good time or it's a bad time. We'll still be givers. The work will still continue. And the poor and the aliens will still be taken care of. So point number one is this principle that you're supposed to, I'm supposed to give of our first fruits, the first portion that comes in. And yes, it will take faith to do. Yes, you will have to sacrifice. You will have to change the way you live in order to pull this out, right? It will, it will cause some things to happen. That's the first point, all right? How are we doing? We good? All right. Point number two is that your gift should be done joyfully. In, in the passage in Deuteronomy, did you notice you just don't come in and put your gift at the plate, right? You don't just do it at the back of the church. No, you took the first fruits, you put it in a basket, then verse two, then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. This would have been the, the temple. This is a church today. And then you were to declare something to the Lord from verses three through 10. Did you catch that, what you were to, to, to declare? It was a testimony about God's grace. It was a testimony to what God had done, right? God had brought the Israelites to this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, this beautiful land, right? He, he saw them first, though, in bondage where they were being mistreated. He heard their cries, and with a mighty hand, he brought them out of that right? Brought them out of slavery into this beautiful land. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a similar testimony, right? Because we were all trapped in our sin, but Christ died for us so that we could be set free. He brought us from death to life. We should approach the altar not only with our first fruit, but with a testimony of what God's done, with praise on our lips. Do you do that? I, I had never done that, right? Uh, there's probably some of that too there, but I, I want that now to be a common way that I give, with praise on my lips. We're, we're saved by grace and grace alone. A, a great gift 
has been given to us. And if you struggle with giving with joy, connect it to the gospel. The Israelites recognize that I only have what I have. I'm only in this land because of what God did for me, right? Because of his grace. We're supposed to connect the grace of God to the gift. And if we do that, we won't just give out of duty or because we have to, right? We'll want to give. I, I, listen, I don't want you to grit your teeth when you give. I don't want that for anybody in here. Or I don't want you to think, man, I have to do this. But I want us instead to bring a gift with praise on our lips. I want us to do it with joy because God flipped my life upside down. And now everything that I am, everything that I have is his because he bought me. He paid for me, right? He's the one who saved me. I couldn't do it. I tried to do it, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't be good. I couldn't be righteous. Everything I have is from him. And so I will gladly bring you my first fruits of what you give me, right? Do you realize the gift that's been given to you. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not store up treasures, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure and treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever, whatever your heart treasures the most is the easiest place that money flows in your life, right? You treasure this thing or that thing, you'll have no problem spending money on it, right? It's easy. We got seven cats, five cats, two strays. I don't know. Do we count that as seven? There's seven at our house. And I see the amount of money being spent on them, wet food, Dry food, cat litter, shots, fractured bones, vet bills. Uh, I know how much it costs us each month to feed these seven cats. And my heart is not all there, right? I'm not all for that. That is a reluctant gift on my part. But when you're an animal lover, you gladly do that. Right? You gladly splurge for the wet food and you give them that. I, I've seen some big veterinary bills that people have played and I'm like, paid and I'm like, man, I would just put that thing down. But you, you will, if you're a veteran, if you're a, an animal lover, you'll gladly pay for those things because it's your treasure. It's where your heart is, right? Here's an indicator of your relationship with God. Here's an indicator of how you, much you understand and appreciate grace. It's your giving. It's how you approach your giving. Is it done with joy? Is it done with thanksgiving, right? Or is it done begrudgingly, out of duty, right, or full of joy? Is it, is it I got to give so God doesn't strike me or, or because this will happen, or is it I get to give. I get to give in response to God's grace. Is it sacrificial giving or surplus giving? Would you think about that? Is it sacrificial or is it surplus? 
Uh, this will sound crazy, but I'm here to tell you that sacrificial giving can be something that brings you great joy. It can be, right? Why? Because it's first in response to God's grace, what we've been talking about. But second, it's an investment in that grace to others. It's an investment in that grace to others. I think we all want to return our investment, right? We don't want to throw money away. We just recently went to the Abigail banquet, and um, I, I think that they said that they've counseled, they counseled 15 young women, and those 15 young women um, all ended up having their babies, right? That's an investment that you gladly make when you see that return, right? That's treasure in heaven to me. Okay, so we're called to give first, we're called to give sacrificially, and we're also called to give um, joyfully. If we aren't glad to give, that might point to a heart issue, and we have to look at where is my treasure really at? Because you'll gladly sacrifice for what you look as is your treasure. Now, as challenging as all that is, if we go back to Habakkuk, he's actually taking it up a, a complete whole nother level right? Because he's talking about a time where there is no harvest. There is no first fruits to even bring in. He can't bring in something out of nothing, right? And maybe you've experienced this. Maybe there's been a time where you lost your job or you lost everything. Um, there, are, there are evil times going on in the world, right? We, we see Christians in other nations starving to death. We see them diving. We see them being kicked out of their homes. We, we see everything being taken from them, having all their possessions robbed of them. Th- this could be our future too. We don't know what will happen, right? But what Habakkuk wants us to know is that it's possible to make God your treasure and rejoice in him even when there's nothing. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will be joyful in God, my Savior. How do we do that? Right? With my past, I can rejoice that my sins are forgiven. I've got some things in my past, right? I can rejoice in that. There's no condemnation for me. And in my future, I'm guaranteed a new life. I'm guaranteed a resurrection. I'm guaranteed that I'll spend eternity with God. I'm guaranteed a new body. You you excited about that? Right? There's going to be a new earth, a, a, some kind of planet without sin, without death, without disease, without everything ugly in this one. And my friends, that's enough, right? I'm going to get to spend some eternity with some of my good friends, some of my family that I love, right? Habakkuk is saying it's possible. Everything else might be going wrong, but I've got my salvation, and I have you, Lord, and that's all I need, right? That's how we can have peace and how we can have joy even when everything else is going wrong. Now, let's be honest. I think most rational people, though, would say, okay, Habakkuk, that's great for you. You're a prophet of God. You know, you're supposed to act that way, but man, I don't know if I could pull that off in the face of all of that right? In the face of losing everything. If God were to allow everything to be taken away from me, like a a Job moment, right? Will I really be able to rejoice in him? We see Habakkuk and we see this 
this example, but in order for this to work, we have to look at the one that Habakkuk looks to, and not at Habakkuk himself, right? We, we have to fix our eyes on somebody, and that person, of course, is Jesus Christ, right? When we look at Jesus, we see the person who had everything taken away from him. When Jesus got to the end of his earthly life, he only had one possession, a robe. And that was taken from him too. And he hung on a cross, stripped naked. He had nothing. Most of his friends deserted him, right? When he was on the cross, even his father's love was taken from him. Everything gone. And yet he continued to trust his father, right? He continued to have faith that his father would save him. On the cross, even though he was in pain, right? He remained. Why? Because of us, right? He remained because of the joy set before him. He remained because of you. He remained because of me. And my friends, that's who we fix our eyes to. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out, marked out for us. Let's keep going, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. When we fix our eyes on him and see the cross, we're reminded that of how even though we didn't deserve it, he still died for us right? Today, let us be reminded that yes, grace is free, but grace was extremely costly. It wasn't cheap. It was done at enormous sacrifice from our Lord and Savior. Right? In the Old Testament, a, a lamb's life was given to pay for the sin of a family. And when John the Baptist looked at Jesus Christ, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? We're called to give sacrificially, but our God set the example and gave far more than we ever will, right? We've already obtained more than we could ever give back. The Father gave his only begotten Son, and the Son laid down his life in the most humiliating, painful way. Do you think that when we give out of our surplus, that honors that? Do you think? Do you think when we give without hurting, it's worthy of that? Worthy of what was been given to us? Jesus Christ didn't just give to the point he had to change his life. Jesus Christ gave to the point where he had to lay down his life, right? And he did that because we're his treasure. He did that for the joy set before him. When you, my friends, when you truly understand and start to grasp the grace of God, the costly grace of God, it changes our hearts so that we will gladly bring in offerings, right? We will gladly and joyfully give under any circumstance, even in tough times, there's always something to give. There's always a, a widow's mite to give, a couple copper coins. There's always an offering of praise that we can give, 
If you keep reading in Deuteronomy 26, verse 12, God calls the Israelites to give a, a tithe. Some people think of this as, as 10%. It's, it's really a lot more involved in that. But it was brought into the temple. And do you remember what it was to pay for? It was to pay for the ministers, right? The Levites. And then the Levites were called to tithe on that. And, and that was called to pay for the aliens, the foreigners, the widowless, the widowers and the, and the fatherless. There was a system put into place. In Luke 19, there's a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus that finds Jesus and experiences grace. And in response to that, he says, I'm going to give half of everything I have. Half of everything that I have. And the thing I want you to see from this is that grace made him just want to give far and above what he was called to give right? You could say, I'm called to give this or that. We, we fight about that. We argue, are we really called to do that? Are we really just trying to figure out how much we have to give? Shouldn't our attitude, man, be, man, we just want to give as much as we can? Shouldn't we be like Zacchaeus, man, half of everything I have, right, is yours because of the treasure that I've found, right? Matthew thirteen forty four. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his what? His joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. That's what it can feel like. It might not feel like that today to you. Hang in there. Focus in on the gospel. Focus in on the grace and you'll get there. You'll get there. We, we try and figure out what we have to do. What's the minimum that we have to give in order that God won't be mad with us? Mad with us? But no. There's a different thing behind that. Did you notice Deuteronomy 26.11? Then you and the Levites and the foreigners who are residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Do you know what that means? If you're shaped by the grace of God so much that you give radically and joyfully, then your money becomes a form of that grace, right? Because your money keeps churches going, which liberates people spiritually. Your money helps the poor, the aliens, the widows, the fatherless, which liberates people physically, right? Your money starts to become a vehicle through which... God is rescuing people both spiritually and physically. How cool is that, right? How are you doing when it comes to giving? What's your attitude behind it? Are you able to trust him enough to give the first fruits? Are you willing to sacrifice some things and work out your life around what you give and not the other way around? Is it done with joy these are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. These are the questions that we need to wrestle with, right? There was a point in time when the Israelites weren't given what they should to God, and he called them on it. Malachi 3, 8 through 11 says this, We're, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Apparently, these people were giving, but they were giving less than what they should. And it brought about 
a curse. That's serious, right? God tells them to bring in the whole tithe. My friends, be careful how you approach giving. Be careful, right? You can rationalize a lot of things. I'm a great rationalizer, you know. When it comes to giving especially, um, maybe you're saying, you know, I'm not going to bring in the whole tithe. I'm going to bring in a portion, and then, you know, I'll save this other thing for this ministry or that ministry, you know, and I'll do something good with it. But, but God says, no, you're called to bring in the whole tithe for these people. You want to fund that other thing? You do that with your own offerings. Do it that way, right? Adivy and I tithe to fund the church, and we give our offerings to fund other things, other ministry that the Lord leads us to. But we feel that responsibility. Be careful. Be careful. Sometimes we give in the way we want to give instead of the way that he calls us to give. And God told them, you're under a curse. Whatever that would mean for them. Right after this, though, he says something pretty amazing. He does something that he doesn't normally do. He, he says, after he says, bring in the full tithe, he says this, test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field would not, will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Test me in this. In other words, prove this, prove me to be true. That's what the Word of God says. Sometimes I see the poor, the widow, giving the mites. And everything inside of me says, oh, thank you, but hold on to that. Don't give. You can't afford to do it, right? I want to say just keep your money. But then I remember verses like that. And I know God's got them. I can tell you for the times that I've been tithing for, for over 30 years and, and giving gifts, I've never not been blessed. I'm not a health and wealth pastor. There are Christians that are starving to death, right? So I'm not a health and wealth. I'm not saying that if you give this, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, but this says test me in it, right? And this is everything that I've experienced. I've never outgiven God. I've been in some difficult financial situations, but he's always provided. I've gotten checks out of the blue from insurance companies, from people, from all sorts, from jobs that I had years before that they forgot to pay me for things, all at the perfect timing. My friends, I've never been at a place where I've regretted giving to God. Never. For 30 plus years. Never. Have I adjust, had to adjust my lifestyle? Absolutely. Still do, right? I can't go out and buy that Audi. Are there things that I can't buy? Absolutely. One time I had to give up my cell phone and my cable TV to make ends meet, and I had to get a job as a janitor. But those two years without those things were the best two years of my life because God used those things to prune my life and bring me closer to him. I don't regret it one bit. The things I can't buy today are just things that will turn to dust. And I'd rather store up treasures in heaven. Here's my challenge to you. Give. Give your first fruits. Don't give your surplus. Don't see how much you have left over. When you give, 
Remind yourself of what's been given to you, right? Bring your offering with praise on your lift or just hold it back. I'm probably not supposed to say that. But I'd rather have you not give if you're not going to give in joy, right? I, I want this to be a thing of joy for you. I want you to step out on faith and see God's faithfulness, right? If he can't trust you with the little, he won't trust you with the much. There's curses here. There's blessings and curses. Be careful with that. I, I want us to together invest in the kingdom and see eternal impact from that. If you, if you give like this, you're going to have to change your spending habits. You're probably not going to go out to eat as much or not be able to do that. You might not be able to buy those things on Amazon that you normally want to. You're probably going to have to cut back. You might even have to downsize. It might be a little bit painful. But if you do it with praise, I guarantee you won't regret it. Amen? Notice, I didn't say how much they give. You got to work that out with God. I know what I'm called to give. And I'm called to bring in the whole tithe into that. And I know exactly what that means for me. And I'm called to give every time my heart leads it on top of that to different things. Make your priority to give first what God calls you to do. Don't hold it back. Don't hold on it and spend it the way you want to spend it on the things that you want to spend it. Even if it looks like ministry, right? You bring your whole tithe in, whatever that means, and you give to those other things as God asks you to do. But we've got a responsibility to do that. Stand with me. Yeah. Yeah. That's what? Oh, praise God. Mm. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. Praise God. Stand with me. Listen, I, I, I never want a message like this to be a sore spot between marriages, right? Don't let, it, don't let it come in between it, you know. But follow what God calls you to do and do it by faith, right? I'm not after your money. I don't get a, a percentage of it or anything like that. And I, I tell you, I tithe. I give back. Um, I have to because I'm a greedy person. And tithing is the perfect thing to combat that. And, and I see what it did to Judas, 
right? It dragged him into hell. Don't, don't let it. Don't, don't make your treasure your bank account or things. They just rust, right? Invest in the eternal. And if you can't trust this church to invest in that way, find a church that you can. You won't hurt my feelings, all right? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the ability to give in response, Lord, to your, to your grace. Father, I pray that this isn't a time of shame or guilt or anything like that. It's a time to just start moving in a different direction. Start listening to what you're calling us to do. Father, I love that song. Will we make room for you? Are we just going to do things our way and do things the way we want to do it? Or will we make room for you? Lord, I pray that we would. I pray that we'd surrender everything. Father, I, I pray that the things of this world would, would grow strangely dim. Lord, I know there's things that I want, Lord, that just really aren't anything to it, Lord, in the grand scheme of things. Give us an eternal kingdom perspective, Lord. Father, we love you, and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.